Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there is a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of a lion and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless winning machine and when he unzips his pants he sees... Platinum? That's right, Manscaped would like to announce that their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle, the Platinum Package 4.0, is now available worldwide. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with your whole hygiene routine. Join the 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PEAKSPEAK. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. A package unlike any we've had before, so whether you're new or a seasoned Manscaped vet, there is something for you. Inside this Platinum package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker, Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Ultra Premium Body Wash, Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo plus Conditioner, Ultra Premium Deodorant, Crop Preserver, Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver, Ball Spray Toner, Anti-Chafing Boxes and the Shed Travel Bag to hold your goods while travelling. The Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer and Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin safe technology to protect your delicate parts and holes. <laughs> Both are waterproof so you can shave with less mess. In addition to shaving, you can now completely upgrade your shower routine with the Ultra Premium Body Wash and Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo Plus Conditioner. You'll have your skin and hair feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. Don't forget to apply their aluminium-free ultra-premium deodorant for that cologne-quality scent on the go. Thankfully, their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner can solve this problem for you. Once they touch your sack, you'll never go back. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts for, to their Platinum Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxes and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxes to another level. The Platinum Package 4.0 covers all bases from head to, head to toe. The best bang for your shebang. Enjoy the episode. We are back. We are live to the world broadcasting this morning from sunny Queensland and Bali. Relatively sunny Canberra. Yeah. It's going to be like 23 today. That's, that's pretty warm. It is warming up there. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by the fact that it's not stinking hot here yet. I'm really happy about it. Yeah, I am not looking forward to that. There's always that time of the year where I like get there and like I go to work. And Canberra's really weird because I go to work in the morning in like a tracksuit pants and a hoodie and it's cold. And then by 10 a.m. I'm sweating because it's like 25 outside. But the, yeah. the temperature gradient is so steep. So mm. it's this time of year where you basically have to have three changes of clothes <laughs> on hand at all times. Because in the middle of the day, you want to be in a t-shirt and shorts. But by 5.30 when the sun or 6 o'clock when the sun's going down, it's cold again. Mm. Uh, it's, yeah, Canberra's weird. Yeah. How's things, my friend? How are you? Uh, 
Yeah, good, good. I think I've had some of the most um, work-intensive few weeks of my life just with so much stuff happening, Yeah, um, which is great. But, I've, uh, you know, that feeling of being so busy that you always feel productive, it's kind of rewarding. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, feeling, feeling pretty good. I've uh, decided to uh, do a competition in December going three lift single ply. Uh, so from the next block, I go full equipped, chuck on the shirt again, chuck on, um, some, some deadlift equipment. Uh, see how we get, go. do you get a lot out of your deadlift gear? Yeah, a lot. Cause yeah. you pull sumo in a suit, don't you? That's right. And pulling sumo in general with hips that don't work. Uh, it, it's, it's a, a bit rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I am worried yeah, cool. though, because I'm I'm wearing a equi- I bought an I bought a new Super Centurion, one size bigger than what I wore when I was like 105 kilos, and I'm currently like 118 kilos, um, and uh, I can still squeeze into the old one, but it's it's a squeeze, uh, <laughs> and the slightly bigger one is is good, yeah. Um, but I don't have shirts bigger than what I wore when I was 100 kilos, and all all my um, gear back then was very loose. Uh, but I'm I'm yeah, not confident I'm going to get this shirt at all. <laughs> yeah, that's um that's potentially going to be pretty unpleasant. Yeah, you. I I do have a really old F6 that's two sizes bigger than the main shirt that I use. So I'm going to yeah. jump in that, and if that's a good fit, I'll just buy a Super Katana at, at that size. Yeah, man. That, I actually had that discussion. I put a post up about it this morning. Uh, Darren, one of the guys at our gym who's uh, training equipped at the moment, is has put on his bench shirt for the last couple of weeks and been like, yeah, it feel, feels like it's like maybe a bit tighter than, uh, than it was pre-lockdown. And uh, he'd always had trouble like actually touching it because it was like right on the border of how tight a shirt can be for someone who's still a relative beginner mm. in equipment, but also uh, in a similar vein to the position I was in, like the thing holding him back uh is often like just not being strong enough to handle the weight that he needs to touch. Yeah. And so you're in this kind of like gray area where it's kind of hard to make really good progress uh, because it requires like weekly, just really heavy bench sessions hammering Mm. on it because that's the only way you can get anywhere near a touch. But uh, with a bit of resetting of the shirt yesterday and I'm getting it all sorted, he managed to touch a lightweight PR, which was cool. Uh, And yeah, it's, it's a weird a weird discussion to have where you're like, Oh, that was a, that was a PB, but it was the least amount of weight I've successfully lifted. (laughs) Uh, But that's a really useful thing in equipment, like being able to Mm -hmm. control and, and, uh, and move with much lighter weight is actually really beneficial. And I think sometimes, especially in the equipped world, people chase just adding more weight as the only solution to, uh, to improving. And that just doesn't work very well in the long term. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so interesting. Like, you know, we can, we can talk about knee wraps and the scalability of knee wraps. You can pull them a bit tighter, but the scalability of how you can use equipment is, is so, uh, so much broader. And it's so like, I remember at 2015 nationals, I was hoping to bench, 235 to 240 and on my second i did 227 uh and it was the hardest thing i've ever done in my life i only got halfway up and i failed yeah all all we did on the third attempt is jack it down a little bit and it was (laughs) like easier than an opener it's so annoying oh man that same comp we both fucked the bench up i was like opening at 210 and just was way too casual about it 
And so I missed it the first two times because I just was like, ah, this will be fine. Like I yeah. can do this any day of the week. Just a little bit too casual, got a little bit out of position and fucked it. So instead of benching like 230 or something like that, I benched 210 because I had to take my opener three times. Yeah. So annoying. Fucking frustrating sport, man. Yeah. <laughs> Equip lifting, I think, until you've done it for a reasonable amount of time, it's very hard to recognize just how incredibly frustrating it can be. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, so that's my world. What's what's happening at Burley and in John's world? Uh, we got our first comp. Off bikes. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute. Uh, we got our first comp for the year next weekend. Uh, so GPC States is happening for the f- finally uh, nice. next next week. When uh, was the original date? Uh, like April or something. Um, (laughs) uh, So yeah, we've only got like, uh, I'd limited it to 30 and I think we've got like 27 or something like that. We had a couple of people pull out. I know a couple of people uh, who've like trained for it and then got like three or four weeks out and been like, you know what? My heart's actually just not in this comp this year. Yeah. And that's been a pretty common discussion across the board. Uh, I think some people are finding the idea of, dealing with life stress and peaking for a comp a little bit frustrating for sure. Uh, but it'll be cool to have a comp going again. Uh, we're sort of going to be pretty strict on like making sure people are only bringing one person with them and Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. So it'll be interesting to do that as a bit of a dry run before we run, uh, ladies of lifting in October, Mm -hmm. uh, which we're going to do, but split into like two sessions probably so that people can still bring like someone with them. Cause if we had 70 lifters and we ran it all as one big session, no one would be allowed to bring any people with them. Yeah. Uh, so instead we'll probably split it into like morning and afternoon. And this would just be a good, a good sort of practice run for all the extra sanitizing processes and stuff that we're going to have to go through for sure. uh, to make it a safe environment. But I'm excited to see people back on the platform. Our like, you know, freshly painted platform that hasn't actually been used since February when we finally finished painting it and upgrading some things. So mm-hmm. yeah, one of those things that uh, I'm excited to see uh, happen again because this is the longest break we've had in hosting comps since we started hosting comps in 2014. I don't think I've been more than three months without hosting a comp for six years. And this year it's been like <laughs> wow. the last comp we hosted was December last year. You know, it's been like what, nine months or something. So yeah, hmm. it's, it's, it's been weird, man. It's been really weird. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I also just ate shit on my mountain bike the other day. Uh, <laughs> what happened? I just, so I went and rode at a place called Majura Pines, which is not far from the gym. Uh, was like maybe a bit distracted, just thinking about other things and my head maybe wasn't quite in it. And uh, just was a bit too casual with the first feature of this downhill track, like got to the top of the hill, rested for a minute, went to ride over, just went over this, it's like, you know, like a, a sort of log rollover. Uh, and it was just a bit steeper than I expected on the other side of it. I made some dumb decisions. I touched the front brake, which was just fucking stupid. Um, and yeah, went over the bars, like ripped my shirt apart, ripped my shorts. Uh, I've got a few pretty hefty grazes, uh, on my chest and leg. Um, and you know, it happens. <laughs> You've ridden bikes as well. You know, falling off happens, uh, in talking to a few of my bike friends, the, the common discussion is that, um, 
actually what you really need in life is like a series of small crashes Mm. uh, because that gives you a good idea that you're like riding on the edge of your capabilities, but not doing anything really dumb. (laughs) And the common discussion is that when you go a long time without a small crash, you're in line for a really big crash Sure, because you get a bit cocky, you get a bit confident and then suddenly something catastrophic happens. So, you know, it's been a couple of months since I hit the deck. So I think a good sort of little reality check before, um, before anything gets too crazy yeah 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 no, it's it's um it's always interesting like reflecting back and thinking of like that that second where you you're like yep i'm done this is it i'm going down it, like yep. in and it becomes a skill you become really good at crashing yeah yeah you become sure. really good at falling over yeah um, but you never lose that initial like register oh, it's just like everyone says, you know, it turns into, into slow motion. You can, oh, dude, you can I, like, see and feel everything happening as it comes. I have, I have very, very vivid memories of the whole thing, like realizing my tires facing the wrong way, going, oh, I think I can save this. Nope, no, I can't save this. Try not to hit your face on that log. Uh, and actually, interestingly, uh, so I've been using a whoop band, um, which is just like a wearable heart rate, HIV yeah. sleep tracker thing. Uh, just as an experiment, I wanted something to use that did all of that, that I never had to take on and off, which I found frustrating with like a chest strap. Uh, and you can see the spike in my heart rate data when I crashed. <laughs> so there's like, it climbs and climbs and climbs as I was climbing up the hill. Then it drops right down as I sat and recovered for a couple of minutes. And then there's this really obvious peak straight away, like, early into the piece that is definitely the moment that i hit the dirt and my heart rate skyrocketed for a mm-hmm. fraction of a second it was pretty funny yeah, yeah but yeah that's that's all that's new in my life i'm getting back on the bike today and hopefully not falling off again but you know i'll never say never mm-hmm. for sure all right so should we talk about some actual relevant powerlifting things yes we should we should uh, first, we should plug our sponsor, Prism Coffee Co. Oh, yeah, classic. Uh, thank you, Prism, for the delicious whoosh-whoosh that is fueling my podcast this morning. Yeah, it's, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah, I um, I had a nice time drinking that while we were in the bush-bush. Uh, although I bought a hand grinder with the idea that, like, it, you know, it's it's you know, like you're just involved, you know, like it's it's about getting back to being in. Yeah, just mm-hmm. takes ages. <laughs> I'm used to an electric grinder where it goes, and then it's done in like 10 seconds. Yeah. This is like sitting there cranking on this hand grinder for 10 minutes to make one coffee. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to take some meditative practice to uh, be comfortable with that. For sure. For sure. Well, make sure you go to Prism Coffee Co. and use the code PeakSpeak for your sick 10% discount. All right. Yeah, buddy. I was on another podcast um, a, a week or two ago, uh, one called GTT. Check my recording out with them. Uh, but one thing that came up, um, he asked me uh, what kind of my uh, fundamental principles that underpin my overall coaching philosophy were. So we thought this would be good to expand on a little bit further. Uh, and we've kind of come up with five points um, that really underpin what both of us uh, think in terms of um, you know, key fundamentals that underpin our coaching philosophies, which is um, less about the technical side of things and, and more about coaching overall, right? Yeah, and the the sort of process that is developing coaching as a profession, mm-hmm. which I think I think some people neglect to talk about regularly. Like, it's 
it's easy to forget for people who like start doing one-on-one PT stuff while working another job. And it kind of becomes this like hobby that it's actually like, it's a profession. You and I are both professional coaches and like any profession, it requires some sort of ideas to underpin the whole process so that you have, you know, like a guiding light, I guess would be the way to think about it. Cause if, you know, like with the technical aspect of coaching, if you have a series of principles that you can refer back to and help uh, inform your decisions and your thought processes, then I think you're going to make a lot more headway into learning how it all works and and becoming better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, the part I'd like to start at is is the idea of uh, coaching being a business. And this conversation, um, like these five points are not just relevant if you're listening to this as a coach, but as a, as a lifter that uses a coach or even as a lifter that's considered using a coach or has used the coach in the, in the past, I think this is relevant for, for everyone in the space because it gives you some insight into, I guess, the back end of the thought process that goes behind uh, coaching. And so um, uh, I speak about this quite a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm quite passionate about the subject because I do believe it's where a lot of, uh, a lot of conflict begins because of a lack of understanding or a lack of respect of this aspect. Um, and that is the fact that, you know, we are developing, uh, personal or semi-personal relationships via business transactions. Mm. And there's a lot of unwritten rules that come with that. Um, and, uh, so often people are entering into this transaction, which is again, a business transaction, treating it as a relationship transaction. Um, and, uh, that can sort of send people into the mire of, um, you know, tricky and sticky situations. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people in that instance are also just, uh, because of a lack of understanding, whether willfully or otherwise of that idea, you get a lot of people who are unwilling to have the conversations that should just be like a regular conversation. Like from a feedback perspective, if I am paying for a service and I am unhappy with the service, I'll say something about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially if it's a service that I continue, like, you know, I enjoy large parts of, but there are a few things that I feel like are missing or something like that. I'd, I'd rather speak up about it and continue getting that service at a, at a better rate or at least have enough then justification to go elsewhere. I think too often there becomes this sort of unspoken animosity because of that conflict in the, the differing uh, understandings of where the line gets drawn. For sure. Uh, and then a lack of willingness to have the, the, what are honestly like occasionally tough conversations to have. Mm. Um, I think that then, leads you down this road where ultimately the the relationship ends in uh in a circumstance where both parties are unhappy for some reason rather than it just being a a mutual parting of the ways so to speak i think uh both from a coaching perspective you know if you're not happy with the feedback or or the engagement that you're getting from the person that you're working with and say something about it and be willing to put yourself in a position where you say no to business that you know, could otherwise help pay the bills, but doesn't just or doesn't satisfy what you consider to be the level of engagement you're willing to work with. Mm. And then from an athlete perspective, if you're not getting the service that you want from the coach that you're paying, A, you need to make sure that your expectations are in line with the business model that the coach offers. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're expecting weekly feedback, but paying a price that is much more conducive with 
you know, block-based feedback and semi-regular informal feedback, then you can't be expected to be getting weekly feedback out of it. It just doesn't work like that because this is a business and people like Thomas and I have a limited amount of time and brain capacity to provide that service. And so we charge accordingly. Mm. Yeah, I think um, uh, one thing that's uh, made this more difficult, um, the accessibility of, of uh, people's lives via social media um, and the separation of a person from their business. You know, yeah. if, if I go to the local McDonald's and I get shit service, uh, I, I don't know who owns it. I don't know who runs it. I don't know who manages it. I can't look at their social media and be like, hang on, how come they're having fun while I'm waiting for my yeah. cheeseburger? Yeah, I, I can't do that. If my accountant is screwing me over and uh, I can't see what he's doing in his life, I just assume he's busy, right? Yeah. And, uh, and if, if I feel like I'm not getting great service, I'll talk about it. But too many people are, are friends with, uh, you know, people that they're engaged with business in and then they're, they're not getting a program on time. They're looking at social media and being like, hang on a second. What the fuck does this person think they're doing? Having a good time in their life, going out to dinner. Are you serious? Get yeah. back to work, write me my program. And so yeah. like it's a, it removes the humanity from business and it, and it attaches this like weird negative reflection on this person as a person rather than as a business person that's screwed up. Cause I've yeah. made a shitload of mistakes. And the oh, only same. way I learn and get better is either uh, be introspective on like, okay, here's a client that was a client for a while and now they've left and they seem to have left in, in quite a negative manner. Um, have I screwed up? Yes, I have. Here's where I screwed up here and here and here or clients going, Hey Thomas, like I'm not happy with this aspect. And then it's like, well, shit, I need to get my shit together and fix this thing. That's the only way as a coach, you're going to get better. And that's the only way as a client, you're going to help that person get better. And it, yep. like, if, if you're, you're going to find that with from coach to coach to coach, cause we're all humans. Oh, and it's dude, it's fucking painful. Like having that introspective discussion with yourself about why a certain person or people have left or why things have changed and things like that. It fucking hurts. Like it's, it's a really massive kick to the ego because you have to fight really hard. The urge that is like deep seated in almost everyone to just like shift blame to something else and someone else and it's their fault and they weren't engaged and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think this, you know, you should probably assume that it's your fault until you're proven otherwise. Uh, and if you can take that sort of mentality, that then while potentially putting you in a position to have some very uncomfortable conversations with yourself and face the fact that you suck at some things and you need to be better at them, uh, I think that's the thing that frees you then in the long term to actually grow rather than just being a salty prick who just complains about the fact that his clients leave all the time because you're actually just shit at the service you offer and people recognize that very quickly. Yeah. And I, I really think that kind of negative visceral reaction you get to losing a client or losing business breeds that attitude breeds yep. this like scarcity mindset. Yep. Like there's only enough, there's only just enough clients to go around or not enough clients to go around. And I need to do everything I possibly can to get every client that I can. Um, yep. When you drop that scarcity mindset, life's so much more liberating. Yeah, man. And I, it's, it's a real like novice to intermediate when you're transitioning from a novice coach to an intermediate coach, that's where that starts to kick in. It's like this really like survival instinct, self-preservation instinct. Uh, you start to freak out. And if someone leaves, it's like, fuck, I've lost that money. I've lost that person. What have I done wrong? Or, or you just start to, oh, they're coaching with them now. Fuck that person. They don't know what they're doing. Blah, blah, blah. You, you, when you start to just see, uh, 
facts and figures and numbers. And yeah, sure, people are attached to that and you're, you're providing a human-based service. So you have to treat them like humans. You can't treat everyone like a number and a figure, but uh, you don't have to become emotionally attached like they're your, you know, your spouse or yeah, something man, like that. Man, like several years into this process, I still have to fight that reaction sometimes. Mm. Like it's it still comes up. It's still something that is... Like, it's not a battle I feel like I've won. It's still there. I'm just better at managing it than I ever have been before and mm-hmm. will continue to get better at it. I think on a very similar um, framework to or frame to the discussion you had about uh, people being able to see your life on social media and stuff like that, I think uh, that ties in closely with the access- accessibility of communication streams. Yes. Uh, like, the misconception with instant messaging is that I send you a message and you respond instantly. That's not how instant messaging works. Mm. Uh, People like Thomas and I get a lot of messages uh, and having fairly firm boundaries about, you know, how long you you should be expected to, you know, respond to that message, that sort of thing. Because, like, if you message me at 9 o'clock at night, I'm just not going to reply because I'm probably in bed. Mm. Uh, And I have a life and I have a family that I try and prioritize time with. So there are periods of my, my week where I deliberately ignore messages because I have to, because if I don't, then I'm just stuck on my phone all the time. And in this loop where I have no separation between my work and my life. And I don't think that's very sustainable as a coach for the long term. You'll burn out pretty fucking quickly. Yeah. I mean, and that's a really important message for coaches and clients. So for coaches and clients, when you enter into this transactional relationship, you need to have clear expectations both ways from the start, which is like, okay, I'm a coach. You can message me whenever you want. Here is when I'm going to reply. Here's when you can expect to hear from me. If you hear from me outside of that, bonus you're you you know you've hit the jackpot well done yeah um, as a as a client okay uh, when can i expect to hear from you you know can i message you anytime you know have that conversation go back and forth both ways make sure both people know what to expect is going to save a lot of disappointment that came from something that it, it just shouldn't be a thing yeah exactly uh, and yeah, I've, I've certainly been guilty of not having clear expectations and that sort of thing on that front and had people get salty about, a you know, a lack of a reply within what they consider to be a prompt time frame, despite me sitting there looking at it going, Hey, like it's only been three hours and those three hours are the three hours that I'm not in the gym at the moment. So, mm. you know, you can wait, so to speak. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah, it, so much of this boils down to just having, clear enough expectations on both sides that everyone is on the same page when it comes to beginning the relationship. Uh, and sometimes that can get hard in a relationship that's been going on for a long time. For sure. There becomes this, this sort of murky gray area between like, are we friends or are we coach and client first? Like, where does that fall? Mm. Those sort of things. They're, they're all hard discussions to have, but ultimately having those discussions is part of becoming a, a successful coach in the long term. Mm, absolutely absolutely i think um another big thing that comes with this this understanding of uh you know coaching as a business if we are now talking specifically about powerlifting powerlifting is a real small world um, yeah. you know if, if if you're rising through the ranks as a coach and you're coaching more and more people 
you're going to see these people around. You're going to see them at competitions. You're going to see them all over social media. They're going to be, um, if they leave you as a client, they're going to be uh, coaching with one of your friends or one of your com- competitors from a business perspective. You, you, you can't afford to be a dickhead. You can't afford to be like, oh, you're leaving? Fuck you. See you later. When someone leaves you, you wish them all the best. You thank them for the time that they've spent with you. You hope that they've learned something from you. Um, if there's been a breakdown in that relationship for whatever reason, you try and ascertain what areas that you can improve on so that when you inevitably see them down the track, you can say, hey, man, oh, you're looking great. Or, oh, yeah, nice work on that deadlift. You know, it's great to see you progressing. And, yeah, it's good to see you, man. Good to catch up. Good to see you, uh, sis. It's good to catch up. Um, you, you have to, you know, you, you, you're going to see these people around the chops. I've, I've yeah. been coaching now for a long time and I've had the uh, privilege of working with a lot of people who have risen through the ranks who I no longer work with. And, yeah. and it's, it's, it's always a pleasure to catch up with these people. You know, there's been very few uh, coaching relationships that have ended really poorly. And um, the ones that have, uh, uh, I'm not going to say anything else. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's often a real pleasure to catch up with, you know, clients that have been clients and, and chat to them and, and kind of leave, uh, leave the past in the past and, you know, just see this person as a person. And also see their progress. Like I, I really like seeing people go elsewhere and oh, yeah. then thrive yeah. and it's not like, it's cause it's like you said, it's not a scarcity thing. It's not like, Oh, well you've left and now you're going to someone else's system and they're fucked anyway. Cause they're a dickhead and you'll make no progress and you suck. Uh, it's like, Hey, you got what you could out of our relationship and now it's time to move on. And hopefully you move on to somewhere that is a positive influence on your training results. Mm. Uh, maybe you don't, maybe you do. It's, you know, that's on you more than it is at me at that point. But i like you said, I wish you all the success in the world. I'm, I'm way more interested in the people that I'm working with doing what's best for them than I am about doing what makes me feel the best. For sure. Because uh, if you're way more concerned about people doing things that make you feel good, then you're not going to be a very successful coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good place to leave that point. Um, because uh, like one thing I, I truly believe I tell myself over and over and over again, um, I believe that people get into coaching because they have a genuine desire to help people go to the next stage. They get into yep. it for, for selfless reasons. Yeah. Um, and I believe that every coach is doing the absolute best they can to help their clients with the knowledge and the information that they have. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like to believe that. So I, I really like how you tied that one off. Um, Excellent. What's, the, what's next on your list? The next point I was going to say uh, is question the status quo. Um, uh, don't, don't just buy into things that everyone says. Don't just buy into uh, the uh, standards in areas that may not have really, really solid backing behind them. I think there's often examples of things that like, there's a reason everyone does it that way, or there's a reason everyone follows this thing or this protocol or this uh, way of thinking. I think oftentimes you can find um, that, uh, that happens for a positive reason. But in this particular uh, industry, there is a lot of uh, status quo that makes no sense. 
There's yep. a lot of general cues that everyone uses that make no sense. There's a lot of stick your chest up and out just for the sake of sticking your chest up and out that people just buy into. Like we've, we've done, you and I have spoken a lot about critical thinking, uh, about, you know, going down the rabbit hole of identifying, for example, in technique where uh, problems arise from, not just what the symptom of that problem is. You have to really, 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 um, uh, you know, d- don't just accept things for what they are because everyone is saying it. Have a really good critical think about what's going on. If you arrive to the same conclusion as everyone else, maybe that's got something to it. If you can't see the logic in it, you don't have to do it that way. Yeah, and I think that that's it's a problem that is, I feel like, is slowly correcting itself for sure uh, because the industry as a whole has moved further towards being like an actual intellectually driven professional pursuit as opposed to just a bunch of meatheads in a garage shouting cues at each other. Uh, And I think the old guard that relied on the same four cues for every lift uh, has slowly filtered out of the sport because they've just stopped making progress. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the discussions that, you know, people in our industry are having now seem like they're so seem to me at least like they're so much more complex and well thought out and logically driven than the sort of like, this is what we've always done. What are you talking about? Kind of approach that was really dominant in powerlifting, especially when you and I started competing. For sure. Everyone used the same four cues. Everyone like, this is how you train. Why would you train any other way? Mm. And now we've had this explosion of, information and viewpoints and all those sort of things that has allowed us to question the status quo in a, in a way that just wasn't viable 10 years ago. Absolutely. I think there's probably something to be said for not just going like questioning everything and going against the grain for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need to be the Pete Evans of powerlifting. Um, you don't need to be the Pete Evans of anything. Let's just be honest. Yeah. That's, that's a very good point. Um, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, but that and that I think is sometimes people take that too far. They, mm-hmm. you know, it, they become this, yeah, it's like a powerlifting conspiracy theorist. Fuck, that would be a funny podcast to have. We should have a powerlifting <laughs> conspiracy theory podcast. Uh, oh, man, we could have some fun with that. Um, maybe we just do an episode. Anyway, um, it's it's sometimes used as this uh, like excuse to go to the other end of the spectrum. Well, everyone does that. So it must be wrong. Fucking try this fancy bullshit, Mm -hmm. uh, buy my product. And that's not the answer either. It's got to, it's got to be a midpoint between like, yeah, I, I want to question everything. I want to be really critical. Like uh, Jordan shallow says, be critical to the point of being cynical. Like when you get to a point where you've logically thought it through and it feels like it's the right thing, then go with it. And then sure. continue to question it over time, but don't, yeah, don't just go with something weird because it's something that not everyone's doing. That doesn't make it valuable in unto itself. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, no, I was going to touch on the point that you made about like swinging the pendulum too far in the other direction. It's kind of now we have opened up the door to, okay, now we can question everything. We have opened up yeah. to the door to here is uh, far more readily available knowledge and information in the space that we're talking about. Um, and with that, we've opened up the door for lots of snake oil salesmen to come in and they don't realize they're snake oil salesmen because yeah. they, they've, found, they've found the golden key to fixing problems 
because they don't understand the problem. Think of the the industry foot fetish, right? Um, it's a, it's something that I, I, I bring up quite a lot, and it's it's, it's been has a foot fetish. <laughs> it's been at my absolute detriment because my phone hears me, and now I get nonstop ads for the Foot Collective, um, and the foot <laughs> the Foot Collective is like, hey, is your dog sick? Train your feet. All better. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, there's, there's, uh, I think it's opened up the door for, um, for people to come in and find these golden keys because they don't understand the bigger system. Think about like diaphragmatic breathing. You can't breathe without using your diaphragm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then, that's, that's one that recently, recently I've seen people say that. I'm like, do you understand how respiratory mechanics will work? Because mm. if you're not breathing with your diaphragm, you're probably dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, um, people will, will will get an inch and take a mile, right? So they'll yep. go down this pathway of all these like crazy built breathing drills that maybe are more uh, applicable to someone with CPD, right? Yeah. Um, oh, CPOD, sorry. Um, so uh, maybe uh, maybe these these uh, amazing fixes uh, that have emerged from this age of information and knowledge. Uh, sometimes need to be questioned, but I a hundred percent agree with what you were saying, which is like, yeah, question everything. But again, if you're arriving at the same conclusion as everyone else, there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, exactly. Cause ultimately like what we're doing isn't like, it, it hasn't changed that much. Yeah. We're still just lifting weights Yeah, uh, and the discussions are definitely more complex and more in depth and more well thought out, but that's not, uh, a reason just to go down a crazy rabbit hole because you can. And I mean, mm. I think there's definitely something to be said for like taking pieces of some of these crazy rabbit holes because, you know, you bash against the idea of like doing stuff with your feet, but there's maybe something to be said for a little bit of that. But yeah, it's yeah, like you said, sure. it's not the golden key. It's not mm-hmm. the one thing that we're all missing. Mm-hmm. It's that you can take this idea and it is a concept and explore how that relates to the context that is your training process, be it as a coach or as an athlete. It's when you are exposed to new information and then you just start fucking hoeing into the Kool-Aid and suddenly you've got a three meter long beer bong full of Mm. foot collective Kool-Aid and, uh, (laughs) you know, you just, what an imagery. Yeah. Um, Man, we had a three meter beer bong once that we went through two stories of a house. It was great. Uh, that's a story for another time. Um, young, dumb John had some good times. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's when you're exposed to new information and it becomes your gospel that you're in trouble. Yeah. You know, the, the ship should still be pointed in the same direction. It just veers a little bit here and there to pick up yes. new information and new passengers. And ultimately yeah. they're heading in pretty much the same direction. Absolutely. It's when you get exposed to something, you do a fucking 90 degree turn and suddenly you're a hundred miles off to yeah. the East. Uh, that's Into when a, you're in trouble. A giant foot shaped iceberg. Yeah. <laughs> With toe spreaders. Although having said that, I own a pair of toe spreaders. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> cost me like 10 bucks i was like i showed it to my girlfriend i was like ready for the dumbest purchase you've ever seen me make spreaders. <laughs> you didn't talk to me about it for several days yeah and i i guess i i feel a lot of passion for this because you know um i see it as the i'd call it yo-yo training it's the equivalent of yo-yo dieting uh, and think think of like the the archetype of someone who's quote unquote tried every diet and just gives up eventually and gives into the to the the untrue reality that they've found their created reality imagined reality as I'm forever fat right yeah yeah um, it's like yeah. if you 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 get 
if you get attached to these novel um, magical fixes, uh, you know, it's like, oh, finally, I'm going to fix my squat by fixing my feet. And you spend a year fixing your feet and your squat's still the same. You're going to be really upset. Then you finally, yeah. I've found the belt position that's going to change my deadlift. <laughs> you spend six months with your belt position, uh, you know, up around your neck and um, <laughs> you know, maybe uh, it, it helps a little bit, but it doesn't help overall. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. It's, it's really easy to get incredibly disheartened when you're expecting this new thing to be the answer and you work really hard at it on the assumption that it's the answer. And it turns out it was just part of a different question. Mm. Yeah. So uh, on a similar, on a similar, very similar vein, I think, uh, being willing and able to constantly be seeking to improve mm-hmm. and learn and refine your thought processes and your systems. And you know, this comes not just from like a sets and reps training percentages sort of thing, but also your like coaching as a service. It kind of ties into both of these points that we've made already where the, the goal has to be constant progress, right? You have to be pushing forward the whole time uh, because otherwise it's very easy to become incredibly stagnant and then just get frustrated about why your coaching business isn't growing and, and what you're lacking. And you see all these other people being real successful on social media and suddenly you feel like shit about yourself because you feel like you haven't made any progress. Mm. It's, it's really easy to fall into that trap if you get too comfortable, if you start accepting the status quo too much, you get to a point where you're just in this sort of echo chamber and you never actually get any better. Uh, Like I said earlier, like change growth like this is really uncomfortable. It involves Mm. a lot of assuming you're wrong, assuming everything you know is just completely and utterly idiotic and seeking to refine how you think about things, refine your ability to think critically and improve upon what you present as a product. Cause ultimately your personal development will directly correlate to what you can present as a product. Mm-hmm. If you're a person who lives in a scarcity mindset and doesn't see beyond the insular echo chamber that is powerlifting itself, then you can be in a position where you're never actually growing and you're never making any progress. And so you 10 years down the road, you're just the same mediocre coach that you were 10 years ago, but you're 10 years older. Yeah. At first it's, it's really scary. Like you were saying, eventually it becomes like a Dunning Kruger thing. You become really aware of what you don't know and you become liberated by learning more. Um, and I, I get, uh, I've had like the best morning I've had in ages this morning because of a conversation that I had yesterday. So, um, one of my latest uh, coach development groups has a couple of exercise physiologists in it. And, um, they, they think really hard because like, uh, you know, I haven't got an exercise physiology degree or a physiotherapy degree. Um, and so they, they challenge some of the ideas I throw out there and it forces me to think deeper about why I'm saying what I'm saying. And, and yesterday, um, we were having this conversation, we were having a conversation around, um, uh, around reaching for deadlifts. Uh, because I don't teach long arms. I don't believe that spinal flexion, uh, thoracic flexion uh, is an advantage in deadlifts. I, I, I teach the opposite. I teach a, a completely neutral braced spine all the way up and down. Right. Um, and so we were having this question about where you can find compromise in, the, in those two ideas and, and meeting in the middle. And uh, you know, I, it, it forced me to think about, okay, 
do I believe this? Do I need to change the way I believe this? And when I think like this about movement, um, I, I think in like, uh, I guess, 3D stick figures and what happens when you change one thing here and what happens up the stream, down the stream. Uh, this morning I was walking along and walking is my thinking introspective time and it, it started coming into my head and I've, I've, you know, arrived at a point that I was happy with in terms of why I believe what I believe. And now I can take that back to the group and, and pick up that discussion again and uh, continue with that. And that's liberating because it's like, okay, uh, it either it stands at a critical point where I fork off and change the way I believe something, or I, um, you know, solidify and understand what I believe even better. Half the time it forks off in one direction, half the time it forks off in the other direction in either outcome. I'm always stoked with. Uh, and, and I think the, the willingness to put yourself in that position is the thing that separates you from the mediocre coaches of the world. Uh, because like you said, it's like, it's painful. And a lot of people when presented with people questioning what they believe to be true, will respond with that visceral, like, fuck you, this is how it is. And that just isn't productive. It doesn't get you anywhere. And sometimes I think there's a lot to be said for being surrounded by people who you can have those conversations with, who you mm. can question, who they can ask you questions and, and come to you with like, okay, well, but why this? you know, this is what I think, why this? And that's sort of, those discussions are my favorite kind of discussions. Um, it's the thing that I've enjoyed the most about having this podcast for the last however many years we've been pretending to be professional podcasters um, is having these conversations with you. And mm. a lot of the time you and I have a discussion, I go, yep, cool. That pretty much gels with everything that I had thought. And a lot of time we have a conversation and you say something and then I spend 30 minutes staring out the window, not paying attention to what you're actually saying. <laughs> I'm too busy thinking like, man, is Thomas an idiot or am I an idiot? Or are we both idiots? Definitely uh, both idiots. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the conclusion I come to most of the time. Uh, but being in a position where you can have people who are uh, experienced in different realms, offer a different perspective, working with people who have a scope of practice that overlaps with, but doesn't completely engulf yours. So like an exercise physiologist who has mm. a you know, four year degree and an accreditation in exercise physiology, which is just not the same thing as being a powerlifting coach, mm -hmm. uh, but they have a lot of similarities. Having those discussions, I think is really interesting and very useful to allow you to uh yeah just be in a spot where you can continue to learn and continue to either solidify your beliefs or change them mm. that's why i'm i love asking the question that we ask of our guests where it's you know what's the thing that in the last two or three years you, you drew a line in the sand on and you've since changed your mind because it's such a fascinating discussion and a lot of people go oh Oh, well, like I really have to think about that one. Mm. Uh, and the people who, who think about it and they're like, actually, yeah, you know what? It's like, this is the thing. And it might seem on the surface, like it's this really minute nitpicky little piece of their overarching coaching philosophy. But when you talk to these people, you can have this discussion, like, oh, actually like that's a, a very interesting thing that fits into the overarching scope of your whole practice. And it informs everything that you do. And I think, yeah, when you're willing and open to learning and to improving, then you're just going to make more progress. I mm. think being able to look back on things you wrote five years ago and be like, you dickhead <laughs> look at you you fuck with yeah uh 
I think is really funny. It makes me laugh. It, it, it makes me realize that I'm, I am growing. I am making progress. Cause I think mm. sometimes it's easy to get stuck in the weeds a little bit and feel like you're just grinding away and not necessarily changing. But when you can look back five years ago and be like, Oh yeah, that's right. You used to believe all this shit that you now recognize was logical fallacy. And now you're in a position where you are just more, uh, aware and more understand, have a better understanding of, of these sort of core principles and, and your model, so to speak, because everyone has their own training model. Mm. And I think the the good coaches develop their training model based on influence from a whole range of people rather than just taking someone else's model and being like, fuck yeah, this is the way. And uh, sure. just selling someone else's product with your name on it. For sure. For sure. And it's, uh, you know, it's always so cool to reflect back on that process and uh, see how it hasn't really changed. As in, I think of my coaching three years ago and I think of, you know, uh, being in a position where I thought, you know, I'd found the method and the way um, and still being open to change and then getting to a point where I'm like, Oh yes, I get to change this now. I get to grow in this now and being excited about that. And then being pretty sure that I'm not changing for a while and then changing again. And I'm at, yeah, I'm at yeah, that yeah. point, like this week or the last two weeks with, with my programming uh, I've, I've got some ideas. I've got some changes that I want to make to uh, my overall programming. And um, I feel like if I'm, if I'm in a, you know, programming method or technique method for, for more than a couple of months that I haven't learned something that I haven't yep. made progress. Um, yep. And I don't force it. I just wait for, you know, wait yep. to find that knowledge and information through people I talk to and people I interact with. And um, it's always exciting when it happens. And I think that bridges nicely to uh, you mentioned it with your, with your bike riding story um, that idea of confidence versus cockiness. Yeah, yep. You have to be as a coach, you have to be confident. You have to be really confident in your methodology. You have to present with confidence. You have to uh, be able to justify the decisions that you make. You have to be able to justify on command the decisions that you make when you ask of them. Um, but you can't be cocky in that. You can't be like, this is why, this is the way. Shut the fuck up and just do it. You have to be confident in your method because you have found the justification. And so yeah. keeping that confidence without the cockiness is going to allow you to achieve what John's point was and can, you know, be forever learning. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, part of that comes from maturity. Like the, the differentiator between cockiness and confidence is I think maturity. It's a, a perfect example of that Dunning-Kruger curve where mm -hmm. you're in that midpoint where like, you're pretty sure you know some shit, but you recognize what you don't. And that's the thing that gives you confidence to answer questions that are within your wheelhouse and the confidence to then be like, you know what? I am not an expert on that. I don't have an opinion or I don't necessarily have an informed opinion. I'll do some research and, gi and give you some thoughts on what I know, but ultimately you should ask someone who is more qualified to answer that question. Mm. You know, like I had someone just the other day, like, Hey, I'm interested in learning Olympic lifting stuff. I'm like, this is a person that's paying me for like strength, powerlifting related coaching. So cool. Like I can show you some drills and some basic stuff beyond that. That's well beyond my scope of practice we have a discussion about like why it is you want to learn Olympic lifting. Like, what are you looking to get out of it? Cause sometimes the question isn't actually the question. The question sure. is, is uh, a window into the question. Mm -hmm. um, but in a lot of cases like, Hey, this is just something I want to learn. It's a new skill. I want to learn. Great. Go and learn it from someone who knows more than I do about it. 
Uh, I love watching Olympic weightlifting. It is one of the most beautiful sports to watch at a high level. Um, but I fucking know nothing about the minutia of snatching and clean and jerky and programming all of that stuff. And like, it's just way outside my wheelhouse. So I don't pretend that I know that. Mm. And I think that is a great example of the difference between being confident in your knowledge and cocky. Cause a cocky person would say, ah, I can fucking teach you how to snatch. Like, sure. I could probably take someone who's never snatched before and make it look like they've done some snatches before. Mm. But I'm like, that's about the extent of my wheelhouse. I've thrown a bar over my head a handful of times enough to know that like, I kind of understand some of the, the movement pieces because I understand biomechanics and, and anatomy and those sort of things. But mm. yeah, it's the little bits. It's the, the 10% that you're missing underneath the surface that I have no idea about. So I send people to, other, to someone who knows more than I do. Yeah. Uh, I think some of that attitude as well um, does stem back to our, our, our initial point around business and around um, a scarcity mindset. Yep. Uh, people feel that if they help someone uh, that they're going to remember this or they're going to become a client or whatever it is. It's like you, you can help them by doing the right thing by them. Come yeah. back to, again, yeah. why are you coaching? You genuinely want to help people, help them. Yeah, you're you're going to do them no favors by um, regurgitating the California strength videos. Yeah, exactly. uh, which is essentially how I've always taught Olympic lifting when people say, it. but I, when people ask, but I say that from the start, I'm like, look, I can show you some basics just so you know, these are the videos that I'm directly ripping off. If you yep. want to learn properly here, are the weightlifting clubs around the place, go talk to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some, some people ask and they don't actually want to go away from you. You know, if a current yeah. client asks you that, uh, sorry, yeah, yeah. you off there. No, no, I was, I was just going to say like back to your point about this being a small industry, I know most of the weightlifting coaches in Canberra, either by person, by like personally, or I know them, you know, by reputation. And so I know the ones that I would go to if I wanted to learn, I just send people to them. For sure. It's, it's the same with like riding bikes. I'm mm. like on the verge of getting a whole bunch of mountain bike coaching. Cause I don't fucking know what I'm doing with bikes. I understand <laughs> movement. I understand some of the ideas, but I would like the opinion of someone who is an expert in the area. Hmm. Uh, and so I think a willingness to refer out on that point is really useful. Um, and that comes from maturity in being able to recognize uh, where your limitations are and where the bounds of your scope of practice is. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it, it works both ways. I'm sure you've had plenty of referrals over the years from a PT, from a weightlifting coach where someone's gone, hey, I want to learn powerlifting. And they're yeah. like, you know what? Go see that burly guy. Yeah, yeah. And man, it's my favorite thing in the world because I, I go to that person and I say, you need to go back to that person and thank them because mm. there are a portion of our industry who would be like, yeah, I can fucking teach you that. That's great. Let's do this. And then they come to a powerlifting comp and perform like shit. Mm. Uh, and it's like, it's often really obvious at a, like a novice level comp, you go to a novice comp at your gym or at my gym. And I'm sure most people, despite looking at the logos on shirts would be able to pick the difference between people that we've coached and people that have been coached by others who are less experienced in what we do for a living. And, for sure. uh, that's no reflection on the other people and the quality of person they are. It's the difference in the level of expertise. Mm. Uh, and so, a willingness to learn. Like I've had people come in like a, a client has come in or a person who wants to learn about lifting for themselves has come in with their personal trainer and like done basically a, like a mentoring session live. So cool. 
man, I fucking love that as an idea because it's, it's this, this other fitness professional admitting that they are outside the scope of what they know and understand and seeking to learn more from someone who could very easily be seen as a competitor. Mm-hmm. And I think that as a whole is what's going to help drive the industry forward is this willingness to engage with people who have areas of expertise outside of your own whether it's because you want to get into that area or it's because it's just something that interests you, I mm. think those discussions and conversations are going to be forever very important. For sure. And it's you with the business security to be like, I don't have to be threatened by this. I can actively impart as much knowledge as I can to this person so they can do a good job of teaching powerlifters. Why? Because when they do a fucking powerlifting comp, guess where they're coming? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that it's like, yeah, I feel like we've basically just said the same thing for these four points. And it's all just, it's all just one big point, but I think that's great because it shows that this whole process is really just one big evolving and should be ever evolving piece that relies on your ability to recognize where you are, what you're good at and what you're not good at and seek to improve on both of those things. For sure. For sure. Um, and you had one final point to, to close. Yeah, so I, I think in a, in a slightly less center, uh, you know, fundamental principles idea, I think it's really important to have something outside of coaching, like a, a hobby or something that allows you to engage in uh, the creative process in critical thinking and all of those things that we've talked about as being really important outside of the bubble that is what you do for a living. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, uh, took what was a hobby, powerlifting, and then we got into the nerdy specifics of competing in powerlifting as a hobby, and then we somehow magically transformed that into a career. And I know I've gone through periods of time where it was all I was doing. It becomes all-consuming, but then I think that ve- the very nature of that all-consuming idea is that you are just then blind to a whole lot of things outside of your area. So whether it's another sporting pursuit or like you play music or, you know, you read fiction or something like that, that is something that you can do for relaxation, for self-development, for all of those things that is outside of the insular circle that you spend your life in can become really useful because I think you can learn a lot of parallel lessons from one area to another when you give yourself the freedom to go outside of the mindset that you're used to spending time in and explore being a white belt at something else, you know, Mm. learning something new, experiencing being a beginner again. I'm really looking forward to getting mountain bike coaching so I can go to a coaching service that is very different from the service that I offer and see what it is about their business model that can be positively influenced, influencing mine, you know, be in a position to be willing to learn, not necessarily just the, the skill itself, but the ability to take lessons learned in one area and parallel them into what it is you're doing for a living. I think that can be a very, very powerful tool. Sure. And I think that's a, that's an important uh, tool, regardless of whether you're in the, in the coaching space or not. Um, I think, uh, you know, one thing that I can personally reflect on is I am extremely passionate about powerlifting. 
Like I, I love this sport to death, right? Um, and uh, for a long time, uh, I thought that this was my absolute passion. Yeah. Um, in terms of sporting passion, I've always followed BMX closely, cl- more closely than I follow powerlifting, including like to this day, right? Yeah. And um, so I know I have other passions, and uh, I think expanding beyond uh, my my media, my podcast, my books being related to uh, something that's relevant to this sport has really helped me find what I'm truly passionate about uh, yep. outside of the sport. Cause I'm, I'll forever remain passionate to the sport for, or at least for the indefinite future. Um, but now I'm falling in love with so many other things. Uh, and you're, you hit the nail on the head. Like I'm, I'm drawing so much inspiration and value from, uh, you know, learning other skills from learning other knowledge and information. Uh, it's just helping me understand life more, understand people more, understand business more, understand all facets of this. And it's, it's weird. Like I'm, I'm currently uh, listening. I only do audio books. I can't read them to ADHD. Uh, I am currently listening to a book on the evolution of coyotes uh, and their impact on the American, uh, <laughs> the, the American, I don't know, culture, land space, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and there's been so many things that I've taken from this book unrelated to animals or America or anything like that. Yeah. Just like there's, there's so much uh, out there. There's too much for us to learn. It, 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 makes you, it makes you hungry to learn other stuff. Yeah, man. And I think that like passion's the right word, right? Uh, I think having something that you're passionate about outside of that that you do for a living is important because you and I are in an incredibly fortunate position, which also when you say you're in an incredibly fortunate position, sometimes negates the actual fucking blood sucking work and drive that goes into being in the position that you and I are in. Uh, like it makes it sound like we won the lotto one day and suddenly we've got, we yeah. got to be powerlifting coaches. We haven't just fucking built this shit from the ground up with our bare hands. Um, but we're lucky to have taken something that we were both very passionate about and turned it into a career. A lot of people want to talk about like, you should have a job that you love. Like I just, I'm unconvinced that everyone in the world can do that, but you can, you should be able to have a, you know, a vocation that you enjoy enough to be good at and then have something else that fucking lights your fire outside of what it is you do for a living. Cause that's how you can enjoy life and you can learn all of these things. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly been guilty of falling into the trap of just being all consuming with what I'm doing for a living and nothing outside of that. Mm. And suddenly like, ah, this is actually just burning this candle at both ends is not sustainable in the long term. For sure. And I have avenues, you know, ask my girlfriend, she'll, she'll tell you fall driving is the latest thing. Uh, But I have this habit of like getting into a thing and then I get really into it and I learn a whole bunch about it. Cause I just have a thirst for knowledge in new areas. I, I'm currently it's like watching a whole bunch of videos on camping setups and four wheel drive shit and stuff like that. Cause it's the, that's the new thing that I'm exploring and it mm. goes in, in tandem with like the climbing and the mountain biking and all of that sort of stuff that are the pursuits that I enjoy outside of lifting and what I do for a living. But there are so many parallels in so much of this that it all kind of ties back into improving me as a person, at least from my perspective. And ultimately me being an improved person means my coaching service is improved. For sure. Love it. All right. Perfect place to end. I reckon. I think so. Brought to you by prison. Use peak speak, the code for 10% off and we'll see you next time.
Goodbye.